Welcome to the Dear Doc Podcast, where we will discuss the business of running a dental practice with a panel of experts. Now, your host, Dr. Christopher Hoffpower. Hey guys, it's Doc Hoffpower coming to you again from my studio here in Alvin, Texas. Today I have a different kind of a guest. Usually we bring on people who deal directly with practice management issues or legal issues in the dental practice. But some of our listeners have reached out to me and asked if we could bring on people that, that talk a little bit more about the other side of the equation. After you pull the money out of the practice, what do you do with it? So today, um, I'm really excited to bring on Chris Benson, and he's with the Reliant Management Group. He's going to talk to us about one of the different um, strategies that you may use to keep some of that hard-earned cash and make it grow whenever you pull it out of the practice and begin saving for your retirement. So Chris, it's, it's great to have you on the program today. How are you doing? And where, where are you located right now? I'm talking to you today, Doc, from Roswell, Georgia. Our office is uh, just outside of Atlanta, just north of Atlanta, about 20 miles in a town called Roswell. Fantastic. So uh, no aliens over there, though, right? And that's New Mexico, Roswell. We don't, we don't have areas <laughs> to the best of my knowledge. So real quick, why don't you tell our listeners what it is you do in, in your business and um, how it might relate to them? Sure. Well, um, let me take a quick step back and, and I'll kind of uh, start with a definition. I, I think most of your listeners probably know what self-storage is, right? So, right. I mean, essentially, if any of your listeners are driving on a highway right now, if you look off any major off-ramp, there's probably a self-storage facility there um, with brands like Extra Space or Public. And ostensibly, Chris, we're, we're renting garages. Um, right. Americans do a really good job of buying more stuff than they actually have room for. And so um, storage facilities fill that need of taking that stuff and putting it somewhere safe and secure um, so that uh, people can access it uh, when they need it. So um, Reliant Real Estate is a vertically integrated self-storage operator. And that just means we're buying facilities, but also managing them. So it's mm -hmm. employees who are behind the desk. Um, and um, we're, we have a portfolio of about 45 properties now, um, primarily focused in the Southeast. So Florida, Georgia, Carolinas, Alabama, Arkansas, Texas, that general vicinity. So, so you guys, um, I guess you get a lot more business right after hurricane season comes through and knocks down a few houses? Before hurricane season. Usually people are trying to lock down all the stuff, you know, pat, think patio furniture, that kind right. of thing. So they're that putting it off the board, so it's not flying around. You know, you know Chris, um, off the air, before we got on here, I, I talked to you a little bit about the fact, you know, self-storage has actually kind of always been one of the things I wanted to get into. I really wasn't sure how to get into it. I talked to a couple of people, and, because I think it's a really great way to spend your money. You just, you know, you buy something, and it just keeps making you money. And then I started talking to him about the, all the nightmares involved in owning these things, and it kind of was off-putting to me. And so whenever I found out a little bit about what you guys do, I was really excited to have you on the program. You guys kind of really, you mitigate all of that risk that is involved in owning one of these properties. So talk to us a little bit about how that works and, and how your investment platform works. Yeah, I mean, Chris, I think you hit the nail right on the head, right? A, a lot of our investors who, who partner with us are, um, you know, let's, let's use dentistry, right? They have a day job. Um, right. or, or have exited, had a liquidity event. 
Um, and, and I think what you're describing is, do you want to be a direct investor, you know, buy your own stuff and, and go out and run the facilities? Or do you want to be a passive investor? Um, and, and look, if you can be a direct investor, do it. You'll, you'll make money than going and working with a group like ours, right? Because we're going to make money too. So if you can do it yourself, by all means. You know, I think what most of our, our investors have made that decision that they like the idea of diversifying into an alternative investment um, like right. real estate or self-storage. Um, but also they like the idea of having that diversification, but not having to learn the expertise of being a real estate professional, right? Most Absolutely. of the people who are listening here are really great dentists, um, but they don't know how to do real estate, at least at the professional you know, management level. And they could certainly learn, um, but most of our investors kind of make that decision where they say, look, I like the idea of being in a non-correlated asset like real estate. I like the idea of self-storage because of, you know, mm -hmm. some pillars. Uh, there's three things we really like about it, but I don't want to be the guy or gal who goes out and learns how to do this. So absolutely, yeah, to your question around how our investment platform works, you know, typically we have guys and gals who are looking for the access to the investment class, um, but primarily without doing the work. They prefer to say, hey, you guys are a professional group. I'd like to partner with you, deploy my capital, and we'll reap the benefits of that particular asset class. So, you know, Chris, one of the things that I've always thought, and never be embarrassed to correct me if I'm wrong, because the more I'm wrong, the smarter I get. So, sure. Here's the thing. I've always kind of equated self-storage and realty to gold with monetary units. When shit gets bad and when the economy starts to fall apart, it seems to me like self-storage is where you'd want to be because that's where everyone's stuff gets stuck in the interim. It seems like the kind of business that would boom during a recession. Can you talk to me a little bit about whether or not I'm smoking crack and, and, and how that plays out? Well, we're recording this at the end of July, Chris. I'll let you know in about 90 days. <laughs> um, so, so look, you bring up a fair point. It, historically, self-storage has performed very well in downturns, right? So through the Great Recession of 2007, 8, 9, self-storage was one of the best performing asset classes in commercial real estate, right? So compared to apartments, um, you know, retail, office, industrial, self-storage did really well. And the thesis behind that really is, when people downsize or have transition in their lives, it creates demand for storage. Um, we talk about the four Ds of self-storage. So it's death, divorce, dislocation, and downsizing. Well, unfortunately, specific to COVID, right? We're probably gonna have a fair amount of a lot of those. Right. And so I, right now, um, you know, I, whatever your perspective is on COVID, I don't think we're anywhere close to being through with this. Um, but right now, the asset class is faring very well, um, both at, at our portfolio level, but even at the national scale with some of the real estate, the larger real estate investment trusts. Um, people are paying their bills. Occupancy is staying pretty high. Um, and so we're, we're making it through pretty unscathed. Um, but that being said, none of us know what the next three to six months bring, right? Um, but if, if history holds true, typically in those times of disruption, um, self-storage, you're able to create demand for self-storage. And so to your point, uh, we're hoping that the, the, the demand is going to be somewhat inelastic in this next correction. 
So I think a lot of our listeners, uh, the, the most that they know about self-storage is, um, you know, some uh, supposedly reality TV show with a bunch of, ecle- of eclectic characters gathering around to haggle over. Storage wars. Right, storage the wars, remains Chris. of someone's broken life. So what, what is the average storage unit story look like? You know, a day in the life of a storage unit. Obviously, it, it can't be as exciting as the, it, it appears on a TV. One would hope not. Are you, are you asking the specific, like, facility level or, like, what's in a unit? So what's, what is specifically storage level uh, in, in your storage facility? Let's say yeah. you were to visit one of your random storage facilities in a day. Tell us what the day in the life of that looks like. Yeah, so what's interesting about this as an asset class is, so we, we typically have two employees on every site, right? A site manager and assistant site manager. Uh, the majority of their day is, is paperwork and administrative and marketing. Um, you know, there's not a lot of foot traffic to self-storage facilities, especially if you're a residential customer. Typically, you go in, put your stuff there, and then it sits there for a year, 18 months, six months, three months, depends on the of your your um, your need um, so there's not like thousands of people coming through these sites even though at a you know a typical site you may have between 500 and a thousand units there's not a lot of foot traffic now if you're a commercial customer right let's say you're a handyman and you use a storage facility as your office you may be there two three times a day tools equipment that kind of thing so you know the the particulars of the customer matter um, but as a self-storage facility manager, what you're typically doing is following up on AR issues, right? People who haven't paid their rents. Um, you're making sure the site is clean and safe, right? So that the gate's working, the security's working. We do site walkthroughs two or three times a day where they're going down through the hallways to make sure there's not trash or, you know, someone hasn't broken into a unit or broke a door, those types of things. Um, but what we joke of is here is, you know, it's 20 days of boredom and then about right. 10 pure panic right the first 10 days or the first five days of the month and the last five days of the month where you're chasing rents and kind of that accounts receivable when it's crazy you know in the middle of the month most people it's a garage right so there's not a lot of things that can really go wrong unless mm-hmm. it's a catastrophic event you know it's it's funny uh, hearing you say that reminds me a lot about a lot of some of the things that we said when i was in the military about what that was like it's, it was a lot of hurry up and wait you know, mm-hmm. you've, uh, you've, you've, you've got 23 hours a day of pure boredom and one hour of pure terror. So if I were um, an investor uh, who wanted to do this solo, I wanted to do this on my own, you know, I decided that I had some cash and I wanted to create my own storage center. What are you looking at cost-wise? What are you looking at logistic-wise? What does that look like from that creator perspective as a bootstrap? I mean, I, I hate to give you the answer of it depends. Um, but right. it well, it's a fair answer. We give that to our patients all day. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's, it's a lot about what your specific goals are, right? There are some facilities where guys have automated it with a kiosk and there's no employees on site, right? So you may have a smaller facility where you can get your lease done. You can get locks all from an automated kiosk. Um, and that's a really interesting way to do it. And mm-hmm works really well in the small rural markets. Um, you know, and, and sometimes from a cost perspective, it, again, it depends, but you know, you can have smaller sites that are, I, I just had lunch with an investor actually, and his friend bought 
a facility behind a car wash that the okay. owner wash had just kind of let it go to crap and it was zero percent full he bought it mm -hmm. for five grand now there's only 60 units in it so it's very very small right but it's zero percent full so mm -hmm. there, there's some money to be made on little deals like that mm -hmm. um and manage it you know and then you can go to the other end of that spectrum right Chris where you're developing on the corner of Maine and Maine building a three-story glass and brick building and that property's you know that's a 20 million dollar um, development deal and mm. you're putting in a, a significant chunk of capital to make that deal happen so it's really all over the board I, I think you know obviously the larger you go the more sophistication it requires from an operational standpoint right What's interesting about storage different than some other asset classes, like if you're if you're doing single family home rentals, for example, mm -hmm. it's you know, you rent the house and you're basically done, right? I mean, you may have some maintenance along the way, but your tenants in there and you're done. With our business, it's a 30 day lease. So it's it's an operational business with a real estate play. Mm -hmm. So there's still state attached to it but internally inside of that you have a, an operational business that needs to be run so it's a, it's an interesting kind of nuance comparatively to some of the you know the four major food groups on the real estate side of things okay well since we're getting into this umbrella of real estate and we're talking about the different act the different ways that different classes might pay you back or or the expenses of getting involved in them. Talk to us a little bit about that overlay, what you consider the four different food groups of, of realty, which I love that by the way, and uh, perhaps what percentage of your, of your investment diet should be composed of each? Um, well, I would think of it a little, you're, well, first off, don't listen to me on investment advice. Uh, <laughs> means, um, you should is, trust this, is this where we give the disclosure and you, you say, yeah. I am not a- I am by no, I know enough to be dangerous, but certainly you shouldn't take any of my because <laughs> if you look at my portfolio, I'm so over leveraged in real estate. Um, every financial advisor would pretty much have a heart attack. So, but I invest in what I know. So, you know, what, what I would say, Chris, is when investors ask that question, it's, it's about goals with your money, right? And, um, you know, my personal opinion is I understand real estate much better than I understand the equities market. Mm -hmm inherently I'm more comfortable investing in that space. Um, when you talk about kind of the four major food groups, I'm not necessarily sure you should diversify across multiple asset classes, although not a bad idea. Um, but every asset class has a cyclical nature, right? And we're seeing it now, right? Retail, hospitality, office, maybe not office as much as retail and hospitality, but hotels and retail centers are gonna get crushed. Mm -hmm. There's some buying opportunities there, right? But, you know, in the short term, it's going to hurt. Um, so I, I think you have to look at it from a portfolio standpoint of real estate as a whole, as an investment class, is a non-correlated asset to equities markets. We do not fluctuate up and down like the S&P 500 does, right? So if the market you know, go, takes a nosedive, the value of your real estate is based off income. So as long as your income hasn't changed, the value is the same. So I think you know it's it's a question of how do you offset some of the portfolio you already have and a percentage of that in a bucket where it's not tied to what's happening with the gyrations of you know the S and P or the stock market. So you know every investment professional is going to tell you something different. You know as far as specific allocations, 
Um, but I think it's just a general sense of how do I balance and hedge against other investments that I've made. Well, I've, I've got a good friend. He, he's huge in the real estate like you are, but I think he's on the other end of things. He lovingly refers to himself as a slumlord. He, he buys the cheapest houses he can. And he says, and, and, and you know, his philosophy makes a lot of sense. There's always going to be poor people and they have the lowest, uh, lowest standards of anyone out there. And so you have to make very few repairs on the property. And, you know, it's easy peasy for him. I, I don't know that I want to be in that part of the market, but uh, I, I guess you're right. There's, there's, there's different flavors out there. And you just kind of have to look at what it is that you're wanting to get back from it. And I think, Chris, that's where being a passive versus a direct investor is interesting, right? Because as a passive investor, you can kind of sprinkle your money around, right? You can say, hey, I like the idea of self-storage. I right. like the idea of apartments. I like the idea of industrial when you're a direct investor, you're not doing that, right? Like your buddy knows single family homes and that's what he invests, right? So it's harder to kind of create your own diversified portfolio when you're running them yourselves because it's, mm -hmm. it's hard to be jack of all trades, right? You can't, it, or you can, but it's more difficult to be able to know how to run self-storage facility, an apartment complex, an office center. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I think that's the, the value of kind of passive income and even some of the crowdfunding sites that exist today where you can go invest in some of these sites for pretty small dollar amounts and, and really create nice diversification across multiple markets. All right. So why don't you tell us very specifically how people can get involved with working with you? And before you do, um, guys, I do this every time we interview someone. I have no disclosures financially or otherwise to make about this, uh, this person I'm interviewing. I don't do business with them yet. I might. And uh, I, I don't get any kind of uh, any kind of commissions on anybody who signs up or anything. I just thought it was a really interesting business model. And I thought I'd bring it to you guys for your consideration. All right, go ahead. My disclosure is over. Go ahead and tell us how they can get involved in working with you. Yeah, I would say so for, for us, if you find yourself in that passive income bucket where you, you'd like to see exposure to the asset class, you know, you can work with a real estate operation or, or operator like us. Um, I mean, how you get in touch with us, you know, you can check out reliantinvestments.com. Um, there's a lot of information on the firm and our track record um, there. Uh, there's an Our Investments tab that will open you up to the, the current offering that we have, um, which is called Reliant Self-Storage Fund 2. You know, it's essentially think of a mutual fund of self-storage properties. So you invest at the, the fund level and, you know, you're diversified across the portfolio of properties. Um, and then I'm, I'm fairly active on LinkedIn, Chris, where we post a lot of educational content too. Um, it's Chris Benson with a K. If you search Chris Benson and Reliant, you'll definitely find us. Um, we have a YouTube channel and all those kinds of things. If you Google Reliant Real Estate or Reliant Investments or my name with Reliant, you're going to find us um, and be happy to help however we can. One thing I would say on our website, Chris, is there's an educational content. It's free. You know, we have a whole series of videos on essentially what you should know as a commercial real estate investor. It's not specific to storage. It's specific to real estate investing. And, and a lot of people found value in that as well. Fantastic. Well, Chris, I'm going to let you close with something. And that is of all the questions I've asked you here today, what questions should I've asked that I didn't ask? And um, I know that's a loaded question, isn't it? And, um, and if you had one piece of free advice to give to people who are thinking about getting into this, what would that be? 
Both good questions. Let, let me start with the free advice piece. Um, and, and this is more of a philosophy, I guess, than advice. But what I would say is, um, although real estate at its surface is fairly straightforward, um, it, it gets complex pretty quickly. And what you have to understand, I, I'm a subscriber to the 10,000 hour rule, right? So it takes 10,000 hours to make an expert. Um, it does, and, and you're gonna make mistakes if you're just learning and that's okay. But you really have to think about, are you approaching this as I'm gonna be a professional? And just like you guys do in the dentistry practice where you school for many years before you practice, same thing here. Don't just jump into something um, with your money and, and hope it's all gonna turn out okay without the expertise behind it. And you really gotta to think to yourself, have you, am I willing to commit that 10,000 hours to become an expert in that particular space? So that would be my advice, I guess, on the someone who's ready to get jump or to jump into something like this. Um, for you, Chris, as far as you know, question you can ask. I, I you know, I, there's lots. You know, there's all, all kinds of interesting questions. I mean, I, I think um, for for uh, again in the real estate space, it's it's hard to focus because there's so many paths you can go down. And so what, what I like to talk about is, you know, there's so many different asset classes, so many strategies you can employ. The first category, like we talked about is, do I wanna be passive or direct investor? If I wanna be a direct investor, find the story that makes sense to you, right? And then have it be rooted in data. And if you can back up your thesis with data, then you're probably in a good place to start. So Chris, if you came to me and said, hey, I wanna invest in real estate, I'd say, great, you wanna do it direct or passive? And you'd say, I wanna be direct, I can do this on my own, awesome. All right, what, what category do you wanna go into? And you would say, you know, I, I really like retail. I think there's gonna be some buying opportunities from COVID, I wanna go buy retail space, fantastic. All right, let's focus specifically on that and use data behind it to help you drive where your strategy goes. And you're gonna be in a, a much better position than 80% of the people who jump into the space. Fantastic. Well, guys, uh, you heard it here. You can look Chris up on LinkedIn or at Reliant Investments. And uh, Chris, thank you so much for coming on and giving us a little bit of information about what you do. And um, for those of you who have joined us here, thank you for supporting the Deer Doc podcast and wasting yet another hour of your life listening to the droning sound of my voice. We really appreciate you, and we look forward to seeing you on the other side. Thanks, folks. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Dear Doc Podcast, your source for the business and legal questions associated with your dental practice. Don't forget to subscribe to the Dear Doc Podcast on all major platforms.